Welcome to Moot. This is the podcast where our point is Moot, and today we're going to be talking about mental health during COVID. And I am one of your hosts today. I'm Jeremy, and we have uh, my co-host Joe is also with us. Hello. We also have, we have two guests today, uh, Rebecca McCullough. Hi. And Kimya. Uh, Hello. They are, they are friends of ours. Um, I knew Rebecca, we met in college, and we've been friends since. And as far as I know, Kimya and Joe have known each other for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we used to be an item, but then we saw a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Thus began the beginnings of the mental health troubles. <laughs> yes. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's just start right off. Um, so, Kimia, what, uh, during the lockdown after uh, COVID, what did you spend your time doing? And also, how did you feel? What did it do to you mentally, emotionally? Oh, well, um, honestly, even before COVID, I didn't do much. So I feel like I was well prepared <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but what was kind of sucky was that I was actually like in a state where I was like, okay, I'm finally going to get out and spend time with my friends and just not be sad and, you know, start my life and, you know, really go out there. And then the world was just like, no, it won't. <laughs> like, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> and I was like, well played. <laughs> yeah, it's like a stop sign meets a bitch slap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, no, but the, like, the way it affected me was like, this is like a really bad timing. Like I've been doing jack shit before this. And now that I actually wanted to do something, like I don't get this. So that was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. So what did, what did you do to like stave off insanity? Oh, like, well, watch a lot of shit, basically. <laughs> yeah. And danced, of course, but. I think like most people, you just have to entertain yourself either with games or with watching shows. It's not much else, to be honest. What is your work like? Is your work conducive to working from home or did it disrupt your work? I I didn't, I didn't have a job. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry if I didn't impress you there, but yeah. No, that's okay. I've been unemployed for forever, so yeah. <laughs> Jobs are overrated anyway. I didn't anyway. Really notice any difference in my life when COVID hit. <laughs> well, I'm uh, still home. You, Rebecca? <laughs> how did COVID, uh, how COVID's lockdown uh, strike you and like, what did you do? Well, I also don't really go out much in general. So in terms of, you know, staying home, it wasn't a huge behavioral difference. Um, The main difference was that I normally would go to work and now I've been working from home since the middle of March, um, which has been good in some ways and bad in some ways. Um, So in terms of like my routines, it, it wasn't too difficult 
for me, it was much more just, you know, the existential weight of everything. Um, I have an anxiety disorder anyway. And so then, you know, having this worldwide pandemic that we don't have a vaccine for, we don't have a reliable treatment for, has never happened in humans before, so we don't even understand it fully, can do anything from just kind of give you a fever and make you feel crappy to like, uh, cause you to suddenly develop blood clotting and have a stroke to have you end up on like a respirator, a ventilator. Like it's just the, and you know, how easy it is to spread it. Like just all of that is just such a weight. And, you know, I would, my, um, my anxiety tends toward, you know, imagining the worst possible outcome and then obsessively imagining it until I make myself really upset. <laughs> and so, you know, I would think about, you know, what would happen if, you know, someone close to me caught this, um, you know, what that would be like and how that would, you know, just how devastating it can be. And so it took up, as with, you know, most of us, it took up a lot of space in my brain. Um, so I was very just anxious and upset and just sad and just weighed down all the time, which then, you know, made it hard to do things like focus on work. Um, I read something early on, like in those first <clears throat> few weeks that really did help me feel a little bit better. Yeah. What was um, it, it was something on Twitter. Don't remember who the person was, but they said something to the effect of, you know, you're not working from home during a pandemic right now. You are at home during a pandemic and you happen to also have to work, you know? So like it, the distinction between this, you know, it, for those of us who went from, you know, working at our work site to working at home, it's not like a normal work from home situation. It's you're at home because there's, you know, a national emergency and the fact that you are at home during this national emergency as a preventative measure and you also have to work at the same time is just an, a very different headspace than I work at home like I work from home that's just how my job is um and so yeah, it becomes more like a like a your main job now is just to stay home and then also work yeah yeah like our your main job is to not infect other people and not get infected. That's like the only thing you really have to worry about. Yeah. And just get through the day without losing your mind. <laughs> right. So, yeah. What did you do to actually not lose your mind though? Like, um, A combination of things. I did start, I mean, I've always liked to keep in touch with, you know, like my online friends, but I definitely started spending more time talking to people online um, which is also easier when you're home all day <laughs> um, and you're not like in the office. Um, and so I started, you know, doing like some, you know, Discord hangouts with friends where we would play Jackbox games and things like that, just to like, you know, have some time where you can just laugh and talk to other people and just forget about how terrible everything is for an hour or two. Um, uh, that's a really creative initiative, honestly. Like, I, I, I 
think I speak for most of humanity when I just watched a bunch of fucking Netflix and read a bunch of random. <laughs> oh, I did that too. I cannot tell you how much YouTube I've watched. <laughs> yeah. um, th- that's the other thing. Like I, like the active things I did were, you know, reaching out to people more, but then there were definitely more passive things to just kind of try to get through, which was a lot of just distraction through YouTube or Netflix. There's a UK reality show called Love Island that I have watched so much of. (laughs) Um, So yeah, definitely a lot of those same things. Um, And then, you know, just occasionally, not all the time because I would go insane, but occasionally I let myself just get overwhelmed and like really feel it and just, you know, cry and be dismayed by the state of the world because if I totally bottle it away 100% of the time, it just causes more background stress, but you know, I can't, I can't wallow in it either. Some mental, uh, mental maintenance just so you don't grab an assault rifle and visit the people. (laughs) Yeah. You just got to let it wash over you for a few minutes every now and then. And then you're like, okay, I I have to move on now. And I guess I'll go on YouTube now. (laughs) And it all feels very, very weird, but you know, you got to do what you got to do these days. That's a clever technique because I mean, a therapist will tell you if, if a loved one passes away, you have to spend time grieving. Otherwise, if you don't come to terms with it, it's, it, but I think that there's a kind of a keep calm and carry on sort of mentality for people who respect and are afraid of COVID. Yeah. I, I think it, that would be good for people to remember, hey, you know what? It's okay to grieve this too. Like this is a yeah. a good, it's good to take time for yourself and allow yourself to feel the feelings you have and not ignore them and let them gather strength in the shadows. They can ambush you at the worst time. Oh yeah. Thing I really like is because um, um, Kimia, right? Um, you, you used to watch Dr. Mike, right? On, uh, on the YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the thing that he kept saying, you know, when he was just like, uh, th- that whole thing, uh, be alert, not anxious. When he was talking. Yeah. About yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was really nice. Cause it's like, yeah, wash your hands, you know, don't sneeze on people right now. I mean, you shouldn't do that anyway, but you know, <laughs> do it less now. And, uh, uh, yeah, but you know, don't, don't panic. Don't stress about this. Don't sit and, uh, you know, do the like, rape shower thing where you kind of go into a fetal position and just huggle back and forth you know just uh you know don't don't touch the rails on bus stops yeah because there's only so much that you can do and it it's hard but you have to try and i definitely am not great at this but you know i i agree you do have to try to remember that you know what is within your control you can do and what's outside your control you can't control so you try not to worry about it but that for me at least that's a lot easier said than done (laughs) well who do you uh joe and kimya i i mean i don't one of the things that can be very tough is living alone and i i don't i have a family and rebecca you live with your sister right like you have uh, yeah you i mean you had roommates and stuff too so but joe and kimya do you what's your living situation like do you guys have a full house uh, do you wanna do you wanna take this one, Kimia? <laughs> okay. Um. So basically, I live alone completely, and the only family I have in Norway is my mom. 
and she's kind of in like the um, risk group or whatever. So she has to be really careful. So I have been very like scared of visiting her. I preferably don't want to visit her, but she also does need help because she has Parkinson's. So it's like, it's been really tough for me because I like I have to stay alone but I also like have to help her but I don't want to help her because that might make things worse you know what I mean oh yeah so like yeah I've lived alone and I couldn't really like visit anyone but uh Joe, you have roommates, right? Yeah, I do. I got uh, two roommates, although most of the COVID thing, I went through it with like no roommates uh, because one of them, like, good God, her father bought her an apartment. It's like, <laughs> sickens me, but I'm a little bit jelly. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the other one was working in a master's and most of the summer she, uh, she had a vacation off visiting her family up in the north. Uh, yeah, but in general, uh, yeah, I, th- I think if I had been like completely alone through the whole thing, uh, I probably would have uh, turned into like uh, some kind of uh, mental case. Yeah, I, I kind of always need to have people around me in some shape or form. Well, the 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 guy, the Ty, the one that was one of the guests from our third podcast, he he was alone the whole time and his he was out of work too yeah but ty has all that money he could keep himself company with so you know what the fuck well so that that was actually a source a big source of stress for him because he because he you know acclimated his lifestyle to fit his income and suddenly yeah. he didn't have that income anymore so and i was making a joke but you're right that is actually a, that, that would be a real concern because he was talking about the business too wasn't he yeah yeah so so without without that revenue I mean, his he he pays quite a bit for all of his entertainment and his house, and and he and he has a, a lease on a fairly sizable truck, and you know you you can say what you want about those expenses retroactively, but it doesn't matter because he never he didn't really expect a once in a century he didn't expect a, a worldwide plague <laughs> to, to go to shit. All would <laughs> it's a pandemic. This doesn't happen very often. Exactly. Like so, you should you should be more prepared for volcanoes than pandemics. Exactly. Right. So he 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 wound up not he, he was very alone and he didn't want to visit his parents either. Although, you know, his parents have each other, they're not alone. And you know, I I empathize deeply with Kimia because Kimia, I mean, I imagine you're walking a fine line. It's like, well, if I go out and see people, then I can't go help my mom. And my mom does. Mm. So, so just being at her house has to be stressful. Oh yeah, definitely. And I was so careful that um, if I ever like, because it was when I was moving as well. Um, and so when you're moving and you need help and you have to meet your landlord, like you don't have to hug your landlord, but you know, it's still like there's always risk and I go to the grocery store I have to like I have to leave the house to get food and I have to have help for to move my stuff basically so I'm gonna be 
kind of in touch with people even if I keep my distance you're never sure so after I moved I preferably wanted to like stay at home for two weeks before I visited my mom but you know it's difficult times so it's difficult for her too right and she can't definitely not go to the grocery store if I can't do that she can't do that either so it, it was just a mess and she was alone and of course she misses me right and for her, it was like, I don't care if I catch COVID. I want my daughter with me. So yeah, it was emotionally like hard. I, I yeah, I can I can only imagine because there there's there's a desire to be like, well, I don't care what you want, mom. I'm not coming over because I want to see. Yeah, that's a tough conversation to have. And she was so mad at me. I remember like she was just yelling at me over the phone. And it's like, you don't understand that I love you. And that's why I'm not coming over. I'm not, it's not like I don't care. And I just want to stay at home and watch stupid Netflix or whatever. Like I actually don't want to risk anything happening to you. Yeah, absolutely. So... I want to ask about baseline a little bit because like COVID added new stresses, but we already had a life full of stress before COVID hit. And like mental health for me becomes really personal because so anyway, I'm bipolar. And so going into, going into COVID, I, everybody has like a wild, even within this podcast, we have a, a bunch of different situations and Go, so going into COVID, my, my strengths were, I already worked from home and I had been for a while, so I didn't have to adjust my work life at all. Um, my kids were home more. And even though I, I really wish they could socialize with their friends and be out of the house, there it, it was nice to have them around again, even though it was, <laughs> yeah, that, that extra time mostly went to facilitating their schoolwork. Um, and so, so those things were all beneficial, but, you know, because I'm bipolar, it exasperated, it, it exasperated, can't say that word. It made things worse. I, I, a lot of stress becomes more stressful when you just add stuff to the pile. When I got depressed, I wasn't able to immediately see my therapist. It was more difficult to get medication. And I had like a week lapse and a week long lapse in medication is terrible especially with mental health medication being so volatile and the side effects can and the withdrawal symptoms can be really severe so there were some really critical points where i didn't have access to the support i needed because those mental health services in ohio aren't super great and i think in, in a lot of america that's that's true so that's a system that was already stressed, that already lacked enough therapists, that already had issues, now was overburdened. And we couldn't go in to talk to therapists face-to-face. And it took my therapist like two to three months to set up any sort of telehealth support. And my first therapy session back was over the phone, and then then we were able to start talking on Skype. But... Um, I pulled up some I pulled up some statistics the 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 number of people that report mild depression symptoms is a, is about 
but when the coronavirus hit, that went up to 49%. So that includes severe cases and mild cases. Um, and severe cases is around like 10 to 15%. But that number jumped 12%. Can we take a moment to, to absorb that on a normal, normal time, during normal times, 35% showing signs of depression is like fine? <laughs> it's one in three. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. So, but, but then, then you add on, if you add 12 to, to 14% onto that, in America, that winds up being 30 million extra people. And if your system is already overburdened, that's a lot of extra people that are seeking help. So, my, so starting with, with sharing and then, then throwing out a bunch of information. So, my question to you guys is, like, where did you start going into this? And, and how did you fare afterwards? Because for me, it was difficult. I, I wound up experiencing more severe ups and downs, which is characterized by bipolar. And, and I had less support to deal with those things. But because I had my family around more and, I, and working from home, I added more value to my clients and, and stuff because they needed online work more. Those things kind of evened it out a little bit, I guess. Yeah, for me, it was uh, like kind of a rough start, honestly. Like uh, I was, uh, we, we, I just uh, broken up. Uh, uh, we, we had just broken up, basically. With the one and only. Uh, yeah, oh, with you guys broke up right before COVID. Year, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you guys were so recent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I moved into a new place, which was like, honestly, just in time. Right. It was just as the fucking thing hit. But then I had like the, the kind of network of friends you're supposed to have after a breakup it just wasn't there. Right. I mean, it was there in the shape of, uh, you know, discord and stuff. But that really does so little for me, like socially. I really feel like I need to see the people. I need to feel them in the room with me, which is, you know, really great during a pandemic. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, it was it was rough and i'd also just become really estranged with several like prominent family members my mother among them right uh, the you know it was just like I, I basically cut a bunch of ties just as the as the opportunity to form new ones uh just vanished right yeah it was really inopportune and uh yeah, I mean, it didn't do much for my lifestyle differently because I had basically done nothing for a year anyway. So I was used to sitting at home doing nothing. But I was kind of like in that space where you really need other people around you to kind of like support. They weren't there. And I was also at the same time in kind of like a manic, I want to improve my life right now kind of state that you often are after a breakup or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that was just not possible. So I, I literally felt like I was rotting in real time. And uh, uh, when it got really bad at some point, I talked to a friend of mine uh, about... Uh, some really like fucking dark thoughts that have been bothering me every now and then when things get rough mm -hmm. and uh, yeah they were like okay you need to shrink you need to talk to them I don't care you got a call 
but it doesn't do anything for me to call the shrink. I got to sit and talk. So I was like, after a night of just like not sleeping and introspection and all that, Sitch saying, can I talk to you, right? To my shrink? Can I get like a session? But obviously I know that that can't happen. So when he responded, yeah, of course, I'll call you. And I was like, that doesn't really do anything for me. He was like, oh, well, I can give you a thing in August. And it was like <laughs> June. Yeah. So uh, I was like, no, well, that's fine. Uh, and uh, I just had to sit and stew with it. I mean, it kind of fixed itself, which is good. Um, because as the weather got nicer and I started taking more walks outside instead of sitting inside in my little corner, you know, that, that did help. But boy, that was a rough summer. Well, and it may not have, I mean, you, you might've, things could have just gotten worse. And, and from my experience, therapy is one of those things where you have to build a relationship with the person you're talking to first before. I mean, he, he was already my therapist. Like it was just uh, that you couldn't meet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, in person is way better. Uh, so Rebecca, how about you? What the transitional period? Your before and after? Ooh, <laughs> it was <laughs> rough. So in early 2019, last year, um, I, I've been you know in and out of therapy, and you know sort of trialed on a few different medications for my anxiety for like the past ten years, um, but I hadn't been on any medication or really seeing a therapist in a few years and for a while that was fine and then it was like getting worse and getting worse and I was having a really rough time so in early 2019 I found my current therapist and my current psychiatrist and you know my therapist and I started working through a lot of stuff um I worked with my psychiatrist and we found a medication that works really really well for me which is awesome because that's the first time that's happened <laughs> and so I was like doing a lot better I like I've always wanted to travel more but didn't for a bunch of reasons some tied to my anxiety and some not and so I started traveling a little bit more last year nothing crazy but like <clears throat> I went to New York City for the first time I went to Chicago for the first time like to visit friends and stuff and it was you know it was things were starting to finally feel like they were moving in the direction I wanted my life to go. Uh, and then, you know, all of this happened and it was just like, in terms of my ability to regulate my emotions, it was a huge backslide because, you know, there was just so much more all at once on a scale that none of us can really hold in our heads at one time. Um, and it was, you know, I was also, I was living in a place that was kind of stressful to live in, um, working on moving cause I had signed the lease for my new apartment in February, <laughs> uh, and had to move in the middle of April. So like there was a lot of background stress from that because moving in general is stressful moving during a pandemic mm -hmm. is a whole other thing. Oh, um, COVID is such a skid mark on our fucking schedules. It really is. <laughs> so, so yeah, it got, for a solid like month or so, it was really rough where just, you know, I, I've been through enough therapy that I know 
like in my head, I know the tools to cope with uh, catastrophizing thoughts and assuming the worst and, you know, obsessing over things I can't control. Like I know how to deal with these things, but you hit a point of emotional distress where it becomes really hard to do those things, even if you know how. And I was very much in that place. Like I just, I just couldn't do the things that I knew would help me feel better. And and that kind of made it worse. Like knowing that I could help myself, but like, I just couldn't do it like that. That was frustrating as well. So it just, it was really rough for a while. And I, I kind of just had to ride that out. Um, yeah, it, it was not fun. (laughs) In therapy, they, you know, the therapist will give you all your, you get a toolbox, essentially. You get like things that will make a situation better. You know, if you get real angry, you know, some of my issues were traditionally anger related. So a lot of my stuff is like, you know, count to 10, take deep breaths. And those grounding techniques are great for me. Um, but in with COVID, you find yourself in these situations where, um, you, you know, you might have a tool that's close, but it's not exact. Like if you, if you have a, an actual, like literal toolbox and you have a mallet a mallet and a, and a claw hammer might be able to both hammer and a nail, but if you need to remove a nail, the mallet is useless. So yeah. you may have a tool that, that really is, is close, but just not exactly what you need. And an entire arsenal can be rendered useless by just changing your schedule. Yeah. And it can, it can also be like, I love the toolbox analogy because I've used it before. Um, in the sense that, you know, okay, if a, if a person, uh, you know, the more stressed we are, the more our mental health is falling apart, you know, the, the harder it is to do things. You know, you use a lot of energy on either feeling bad or trying to stop feeling bad. And so you have less energy and less focus to do anything else. <laughs> and so, you know, just the process of getting metaphorically of getting to the toolbox and like unlocking it and opening it and looking through the tools for the one you need. Sometimes that process, if you're already in a bad place is so overwhelming that you just, you just can't, even though you know the tools right there, you just, you can't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Man. Um, Kimia, how 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 about you? Like you're you had mentioned, you know, the how the dynamic with your mother changed and, and that. Um what what about some of your hobbies? I know I know you're a phenomenal dancer. Like did were those affected? How do you do I know dancing is something you can do by yourself, but are you a part of troops? Is, is did that affect it in any way? Um I mean I I think like I didn't, I mean, it's like compared to the time I had on my hands, I definitely danced way too little. And I think it's because like when I dance, I like to be inspired. I want to be in that headspace. I I don't just like dance meaninglessly because that doesn't give me any joy. And like, you know, 
after like the breakup and then having to move and then all this shit is like do I is like it didn't really help me sure. when it came to my dancing um I do dance in a group called Fargespel in Norway and of course we were going to do a really big project this year actually we were going to have a concert in um Opran which is um like the biggest stage in Norway and it was going to be in November um but of course that got canceled and we didn't get to practice anything so we'd never actually got to even start on the project and so that really sucked and now we are trying to see what our options are if we can still even do it because now we have to start all over again and we don't know if we even get to do the project at all so we have to check with other parties see how they are doing are are they in a place where they can still do it next year maybe you know and things like that so that definitely sucked but like as a personal development too i don't think my dance developed that much through that time yeah do do you think that it might provide inspiration in the future oh it definitely could inspiration is a weird thing yeah. sometimes it just, it just comes like like what like where did that even come from i haven't even been doing anything interesting you know like you just invent like a sad emotional dance about the modern plague basically well that is what i do <laughs> i mostly i mostly my my dances are mostly like sad and emotional <laughs> as you know <laughs> yeah i know they they they're honestly they're really like uh, they become really deep like you really feel it like in your chest when you just watch the dance and you hear the music and everything Oh. Yeah, yeah, you got a serious skill there. It's like I mean, for someone who basically looks like Slenderman, you can move like <laughs> <laughs> you can move like you're a jellyfish. Like you got no bones when you're dancing. You know, it's uh it's it's honestly impressive. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but please keep going though. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> no, don't tell me more. But <laughs> how dare you stop? <laughs> yeah, man. I and it, it's I, so I I run a I run a poetry workshop, and over the over the summer we had to switch to digital, and and about half the poems have been about COVID. But but one of the interesting things is several times a week, especially near the beginning, I, I was getting just oodles of poems from the workshop members going, Hey, can you take a look at this? Cause the first month we missed our workshop. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's because that they missed the workshop, but then, then the workshop restarted and they were still just, just writing a lot. And, and I realized that it was, it wasn't, I think that it was more boredom than inspiration. Like they were just, you know, Stuck in their houses all the time. Home, need this stuff to do. Yeah, and you've got a lot of stuff rattling around in your head, and 
if you're a person who writes, getting it out of your head and on paper can be a way to help that. So even if it's not like a poem about COVID, just I imagine just as someone who is terrible at poetry, I imagine just getting, uh, you know, some of the stuff out of your brain onto a page is helpful. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, like if, uh, if the septic tank's full of shit, it's not. Right. <laughs> 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 and... And, and, you know, poetry is about just like it, it f- feeling something, but it, it tends, it, it's, it's a great art medium for reflecting the, 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 the beauty inside really mundane stuff. And if you're stuck looking at the same clock ticking on the wall for hours on end, eventually a poem's going to come about it, I think. Um, also, I think the workshop is a, is a variety of ages, but it tends to skew a little older. And so a lot of the people in the workshop have, you know, they've got a little more time on their hands and, and they tend to do things either affiliated with the library or other groups. And so they're all a part of like book clubs and stuff, other, a bunch of other literary, most of them have other literary pursuits and COVID has neutralized all of those things. And but but because but because writing is a stay at home activity anyway, I, I was really curious about how it would affect other art forms. You know, you know I yeah. want to say one thing about COVID, and it's actually a positive thing. Like obviously, this can't apply to everyone, but just for me personally, uh, I had basically done nothing with my life for a year. You know, but after like the whole like being forced to do nothing by COVID. I felt like a real kind of like when when the lockdown eased down in Norway and we got to kind of go out and do shit again. I felt like so motivated to do stuff that I wasn't motivated to do before. Yeah. You know, I applied for university, like uh, I got really into that and I applied to a theater group that I'm starting next month. Hey. Um, Yeah, yeah. Hey. I'm really happy about that. Can't wait to be on a stage and, you know, just try not to sneeze at the audience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can I? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Can I? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. You finish your point. I I was basically finished. I was, I just had oh. to dribble to repeat on and on afterwards, as I do. I just wanted to point out um, on something your friend said um, when when you said like about you were interested in knowing how it would affect other art forms. I think when it comes to art, it's like each person is different, right? Each person gets their inspiration from different places and in different ways. Because I feel like people who do art, it's, it's art, you know? It's not a specific thing. So it's different for each and every one person. So it's like, I imagine it affects people differently based on what kind of art you do and where you get, how you get inspired or where you get your motivation from in the first place. Like I, I'm used to dancing on stages. I'm used to dancing and working with other people. Uh, and, but, you know, people are different. So it's like, it can be really interesting for some and like really not helpful for others you know 
right yeah. and, and some agree, art forms might like, flourish while others they kind of like take a hit well yeah. my my situation and that's why i was i guess one of the reasons i was initially surprised that I, there was so much activity with the writers that i'm kind of connected with was the because my schedule didn't change so i i write for a living and i've been doing it for most of a decade and I, I force myself to write every day. Most of the time, I don't really have to force myself at this point. But I, if I don't want to do it, I still do it. And my approach has always had to be disciplined because I am, by nature, a very undisciplined person. <laughs> so my, my lack of organization and my inherent laziness means it's much better for me to, to build a schedule and then, then adhere to it. So COVID didn't disrupt that at all. and. You're right. Like, and, and so when the other other writers were suddenly doing it a lot more because they either had the free time or now they had the inclination or now they were bored enough to or whatever it was, they had all these reasons that encouraged that instinct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some did write less. You know, I, I've had, there were a couple of people that are part of the workshop. They're like, I haven't done anything in months. I'm just too depressed. And so those people were there too. And, and you're right. Like it, it could be your approach to things. It could be when you do it, like, do you only, do you only create when you're inspired? Do you only create when you're around other people? You know, do you only create with a certain group of people? Um, so that's true. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, so <clears throat> Rebecca, I have a question for you because we talked yesterday about work and you had mentioned that your work life was disrupted and yes my my work life was like got better because, <laughs> because i had i was already i was already home anyway and now i had clients saying oh i need these updates to happen immediately and my wife was out of work and and sarah wasn't you know working for a while and so she while she was out, we were worried about finances. So I just took on as many extra jobs as I could, but there were, there were oodles of them because it's internet content and people were moving stuff online. But t- tell us a little bit about your transition. Ooh, it was very rough. <laughs> so uh, I work as an operations analyst, uh, which is as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> and uh, in my role. It sounds really exciting. It sounds like something from Homeland or 24. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not that exciting. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when when we're working normally in the office, our, I work on a small team of two people within, you know, a slightly larger team. Um, My general team at work kind of covers a few different areas. So myself and one other person handle what we handle specifically. And we, our work was very paper-based. You know, we had to print out a lot of things for, uh, because we work with a fair amount of risk and, you know, processing things that, you know, we really need to make sure we're processing correctly. So we, you know, do peer reviews of each other's work and things like that. So we had a lot of like printing out of documents to review and sign and verify and, you know, kept paper records of everything we would submit every month. 
uh, so that you know we could go into the file folders and be like, here's what we submitted last month. Is there a problem with it? Let's let's look through and find, you know, our our paper trail, literally. Um, and we've been wanting to move to a much more digitized version for a while, but you know, change is slow in corporate America, um, <laughs> and it just hadn't really happened yet. And then all of a sudden we had to start working from home for the indefinite future. And so we had to very quickly develop uh, a procedure for doing everything digitally, which we did. And we came up with a procedure that, you know, works and checks all the boxes and is sufficiently organized and everything. But I don't know what it was, but something about, you know, going from, you know, working with so much based in paper that I could kind of spread out in front of me and see everything I was doing to going to everything being digital. And for the first about two months that I was working at home, I only had a laptop with no second screen, which for the amount of Excel and PDF documents I work with, <laughs> uh, one little laptop screen really doesn't cut it. <laughs> and just the shift in like the actual physical processing part, for whatever reason, was really hard for me. And I, when I would try to talk to my manager about it, I felt so dumb because I'm like, the work itself really hasn't changed that much. It's just, you know, in a, in a digital document now, instead of on paper, but like the way my eyes would look at it and communicate to my brain just was totally different for whatever reason. And so like, I forgot to do things and I missed things and missed deadlines, which is like really not good for my line of work and just screwed up so much. And it was really stressful because I didn't know how to fix it. And it, it took a while of working with my manager and kind of trying to figure out adjustments we could make that would help things make more sense in my brain. And, and, you know, things are good now. Like I recovered from that, but it was, it was so stressful. And plus with, you know, just we're in a worldwide pandemic and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are dying and you don't know if one of your, and especially, you know, very early on, um, you know, before people had been quarantined for a month or so, you didn't know if any of your loved ones had COVID. Um, and so there, with all of that stress on top of screwing up at work so much, it made it that much harder to focus on work, which made me screw up more. So I had a really stressful transition and it, it didn't help. <laughs> my base mental health didn't help work and work didn't help my base mental health. And yeah, it was another one of those things I just had to tough through until I figured it out, and it sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine because you you had said you had said earlier that you know your brand of anxiety really includes sort of second guessing, cyclical type. You know. Oh yeah. And if you feel like you're messing up, it just becomes it becomes a cycle because then you're like, well, I messed up yesterday. I really have to not mess up today. But the more you think about it. I don't know if you've ever seen that Frasier episode where he learns how to ride a bike and he's 
afraid because his bike always runs into a tree because he's <laughs> overthinking it. And <laughs> he's got this girl he works with who doesn't like him very much. And they're super competitive. And, and she's like, hey, watch out for that. And they like do a bike-a-thon. And she's like, hey, watch out for that uh, mailbox over there. And he like, of course, drives right into it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of thing, right? Like you're, 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 you're worrying about the mistakes you've made. And then it makes you more likely to mess up because you're so concerned and you're not, it, it pulls you out of the work you're doing. And it, it exactly. makes people to pay attention it to details. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, basically. Yeah. yeah, very much. Yeah. So that, in that case, like the anxiety just not only does, not only does COVID make things worse, but it makes work more difficult, which then makes things worse again. A second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much like all of the bad things in my life and in my brain were just feeding each other constantly. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't even tell you like exactly when or how I figured out the first like separation to like cut off one of those, you know, feeding loops. Um, I'm not even sure exactly what I did or how it happened, but you know, at some point eventually I, I figured out a way to handle one thing and that kind of helped me slowly <laughs> work on getting a handle on the other things as well, but you know. Yeah. Well, and, so, and some of it's the work processes themselves. Like, like you know, I, I'm sure your workplace didn't have things figured out ahead of time. They're like, oh, we have a pandemic preparedness thing. So that way if- Nope. <laughs> have to move all the, you know, so, so as they improved, you know, it probably made things easier on your end also. Yeah, for sure. So I want to ask you guys one more question before we round things off here. Because we've gone over like how it was before COVID, how it was in the start of COVID, but how do you guys, how do you guys feel about things now and forward? Like how 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 do you feel like how is this whole pandemic thing looking for you right now? How how what what's your outlook on the future or like the the near future, current, present? Like uh, let's let's start with you, Kimia. Like you're you're in Oslo right now which has become a red zone. Oh. Like, how, how, how are you feeling about COVID now? How are you looking ahead? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Hello? Yes, uh, yeah, I can yeah, hear yeah. you. Yeah, did you hear the question? Uh, just repeat the last one, please. Okay, so how, how are you, like, you're in Oslo, it's a red zone. Yes. How how are you feeling about COVID now, and what are your thoughts like looking ahead? Are you like positive, negative, or do you think it's just going to be much of the same, same, same? Like, what 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 are your feelings about the future, like the near future? Um, well, so I go to school right now, and we show up at the moment. We keep um, we have less uh, people in each class, so like they get people get to keep a distance and stuff like that uh but they said it might become a digital thing again if the government decides that enough is enough and uh, so I, I i don't really know if it becomes like i have to take because i'm taking a lot of subjects right now like i'm taking 
double the amount that they suggest and the school said they will take no responsibility <laughs> whatsoever like if I fuck up that's on me and I was like cool I'll still do it so if it becomes like a zoom thing and I have to stay home it'll definitely be hard because like I am really bad if I stay home I'll get more lazy so I'll probably do less school work and also I think it's going to be like just a lot more difficult especially with the subjects that I'm taking like for example I'm taking Norwegian and there is important that you know I I'm engaged to really understand things so if that happens it's not going to be a pleasant experience for me but I'm hoping they're saying that things aren't going too bad at the moment from what I heard a few days ago but things change quickly so I don't even know uh, so I'm not sure if you get, if you can be positive, like positivistic. <laughs> I'm, I'm at a point where it's like it's going in a kind of good direction at the moment, but I don't really know. I don't really have any specific feelings. I'm more like, okay, let's see what happens now. Like, <laughs> well, that's that's one of the big staples of COVID, right? Is that it's it's even if things are okay at this very moment, it's uncertainty. There's so much yeah. uncertainty that adds stress and not knowing, you know, how things are going to look because the fall's coming. And one thing that we know about major break, you know, viral breakouts is that they tend to be worse in the fall and winter. So we don't know what we're staring down and, and you could be looking down, you know, the barrel or, this could just be normal, you know. Who knows? Yeah, is that uh, is that a bullet at the end of the tunnel or is it a light? Salvation. So, what about you, Rebecca? Like, same question for you. Yeah, um, I am nervous. <laughs> so, um, the problem is in a lot of. I'm not sure if you're having the same kind of trends in Norway, but I know in the U.S., in a lot of areas, things keep spiking and then falling and then spiking and then falling because as soon as cases start to trend down, people get really lax about things um, and aren't as careful. And then, you know, cases go right back up again. And for example, in my uh, area, we you know, had had some cases through the spring, but, you know, it was pretty steadily getting lower and lower. And so then in like late June, they were like, okay, we can reopen businesses and people can, you know, go back to, you know, having, you know, gatherings in public spaces and things like that. And our cases spiked so high because, you know, I think, and I don't know how much of this is a cultural thing and how much of this is just human nature, but, you know, I think for a lot of people, there was this feeling of, oh, they're saying we can like go back out again. So it must be fine now. Everything is safe now. So people weren't as careful as they should be when really that's not what the government was saying. They were saying you can start having a life again, but, you know, continue to wear your mask, continue to physically distance from people, 
you know, but but people didn't. That's the state government. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. My my local government. (laughs) Um, But you know, people. Not everybody takes that to heart, and so our, our, you know, they almost immediately after they opened everything back up, they got stricter again, (laughs) which I knew was going to happen. And so since they've kind of gotten stricter again my area's cases have been trending back down and trending back down. And, you know, we have many spikes, but overall we're trending down again, but we're still, you know, not as low as we were in like May um, even. And so I just get very nervous that this is just going to keep happening. We're just going to keep riding this roller coaster because, you know, not everybody is taking it as seriously as they should, or, you know, some people just genuinely aren't receiving good information because <laughs> the American government at large has not done a good job communicating things to the people. Um, so, I mean, there are people in the U.S. who genuinely don't think COVID is that big of a deal because, and it's not necessarily because they're assholes. I'm sure some of them are, <laughs> but it's not necessarily that. It's that there's just really bad and incomplete information And so I'm just, I'm very nervous that we're going to keep going up and down and up and down and up and down, especially like Jeremy said, when we get into the fall. And so I'm just like, can we please find a vaccine soon like, and make it actually affordable? Because that's the other thing that scares me living in the U.S. with the way our healthcare system is, you know, they could develop a vaccine that costs a dollar to make, you know, per injection. And then some private pharmaceutical company will buy the patent to it. And the next thing you know, that vaccination will cost you $100, you know. And I'm just, I'm hoping so hard that it doesn't go that way, but you never know. So it's just, I'm, I'm not quite hopeful, <laughs> but I'm, I'm aware that, you know, things could definitely start to improve. And I hope that they do. But I'm nervous that we'll keep just progressing and sliding back and progressing and sliding back. Cautiously optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, okay, I, I see that we, we could make this work, but I'm also bracing myself for the crash at the same time, just in case. <laughs> Which is probably smart, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> well, did, did you guys want to say anything before... Uh, this is probably a good place to wrap it up. But did you, did you uh, want to say anything before we take off here? Any final thoughts? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer too, I guess. Um, That's fine. Um, yeah, thank I mean, you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed it oh. as much as we did. Oh, I'm sorry, did you, Rebecca. Did you want to say? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I I was just gonna say, you know, like uh, for anyone who listens. You know, I mean, as we've talked a lot about, a lot is going on and it's hard and it's scary and it's difficult. But, you know, I I do think there are more people out there who want to make things better than not. And so, you know, I definitely know firsthand that it's hard, but, you know, just try to keep 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 looking for the helpers, as Mr. Rogers would say. And... uh yeah, try not to try not to lose faith, even though it's hard sometimes. There's 
there's always a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's very, very, very far away. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you both, Kimya and Rebecca, for coming on. Thank you so very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. I haven't uh, talked to you before, but I have heard a lot of great stuff from Joe. So it was actually really <laughs> nice to have a conversation with you. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Trust us. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just us right talking here, to ourselves. That's no point. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. And, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah. Have a good one. <laughs>